going to read one verse of Scripture found in the book of Luke, chapter 2, and verse 12. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The Word said, And this will be a sign to you. This will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped. Everybody say wrapped. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Um, this year, as I was praying and preparing for a Christmas sermon series, um, Angie and I were actually also preparing at home, trying to get some things wrapped before all of the busyness of the season hits our house. We entertain a few times through the Christmas season, family and friends and different things. And so we were trying to get some gifts wrapped. And this verse of Scripture spoke to me differently than it ever has before uh, simply because of thinking about that as I went through it. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So I want to start to begin a sermon series with you today that I've simply titled, Unwrap the Gift. And we're going to look at some of the things that this gift was wrapped in as we go through this, this Christmas season. And today I want to talk about humanity and humility. If you will, one more time, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you once again for your mighty presence. Thank you for all of these precious people that have assembled together here to worship you today. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that it would come forth today, uh, Lord, in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint these lips of clay, that uh, I wouldn't even speak my words. I pray, Lord, that I'd speak your word, what you would have me to say today. Decrease me, that your spirit may be increased within me. Anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you're speaking to your people today. And, Lord, ultimately, I pray that this Christmas season, Lord, as we unwrap, the greatest gift that's ever been given to mankind. That, Lord, we will pay attention to some of the things that you were wrapped in, that we should be wrapped in as well. And we'll just give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in and through your word today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. When it comes to gifts, no matter how you wrap it up, even if great time and effort is put into presenting the perfect package. And my wife is this way. She, I have seen her present gifts to people before that they said, that's too pretty to unwrap. But no matter how much time and effort that you put in to wrapping the perfect package, most of the time, everybody knows the attention is not focused on the wrapping, right? The attention is focused on what's on the inside that you unwrap. So over the next few weeks during this Christmas season, as we unwrap the greatest gift that's ever been given to mankind, I want us to stop and consider some of the ways that this gift was wrapped. I want us to first look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23 in the NIV translation. It reads this way. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I also want us to look at John chapter 1 and verse 14. It said, the word became flesh, say flesh, and made him his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. I think it's important for us to realize and to recognize and to remember this Christmas season that Jesus was wrapped in humanity. We know that he was God. Say amen, somebody. However, he was also completely wrapped in humanity. He could only be God with us if he was God in us. And one of the most profound descriptions, I think, that we find in Scripture of Jesus is in John chapter 1 that I just read. The Word became flesh. He became flesh. He could have never moved into our neighborhood if he had not been wrapped in flesh. Had he been only God, you and I would have never been able to relate to him. But had he been only man, he would have never been able to have saved us. But God in man, and we have God with us and God for us. Somebody say amen. And we look at the contents of miracles that Jesus performed while he was walking with us. And we focus on that a lot. But I want us to look this morning again at the miracle of the wrapping. What he was wrapped in. God wrapped in flesh. He became like us to save us. Let me say that again. He became like us to save us. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this or paused long enough to consider that he was wrapped in the same skin that you and I are wrapped in. He experienced the same aches and pains. He was fully flesh. He experienced the same emotions. And he also had the same imperfect physically flawed package that you and I are wrapped up in. He was fully wrapped in flesh. He was wrapped in humanity. I think that most of the time we tend to push past that wrapping to just the God side of Jesus. And the God side of Jesus is very important. But this Christmas, I want us to remember that he was wrapped in flesh. And because he was wrapped in flesh, he wept. He became angry. He became hungry. He became tired. He sweated. He was flesh. He had to obey his parents. And all the young people said, none of the young people said, amen. He also worried and scared his parents. And all the parents said, because he was flesh, he was moved by compassion. Because he was flesh, he could feel. Because he was flesh, he bled. Because he was flesh, he stumbled under the weight of the cross as he carried it up the hill. Because he was flesh, the Bible said that he thirsts. The Bible also said that he thought of his mother. 
Because he was flesh, he felt betrayal. Somebody help me preach. Because he was flesh, he felt and knew and understood abandonment. Because he was flesh, he knew what you and I would go through. He was wrapped in flesh. The writer of Hebrews said it best. He said, we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points, say all, all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Listen, God does not have to imagine what it feels like for what you're going through because he's already been wrapped in skin. Now listen, his fleshiness does not decrease or diminish my worship. It increases my belief in the fact that God loved me so much that he became like me in order to reach me. Is that not good this morning? Getting a revelation of that will reveal to you the links that he was willing to go to to get to you. God on the inside and man on the outside. The Savior wrapped in skin. The divine dressed in derma, if you will. Can I tell you this morning, we should pause long enough to be thankful for that wrapping. We should be thankful for that wrapping. We should be thankful that there is nothing in this life that we will ever go through that he cannot relate to because he's already been there. And on a side note, God must have really thought that this concept worked really well because he continues to use the same method today. In fact... God is into regifting. Did y'all know that? How many of you how many of you don't mind to receive a regift? Well, the rest of y'all are selfish and need to learn the true meaning of Christmas. Amen. God was into regifting. God originally sent his son Jesus wrapped in skin. But today he now rewraps the same gift of a Savior. How does he do that, Pastor? It's wrapped in skin once again. Your skin and my skin. He sends Jesus to those around us by sending Jesus in us. Somebody say amen. That's why it's important how you conduct yourself. Because you are his representative. All day, every day. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Why did he do that? Paul declares this, but we have this treasure, and it's a treasure, in jars of clay. There's a contrast there. To show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. 
We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Listen, if you only look at us you may very well miss the brightness. Because we carry this precious message around in unattractive, unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. But you know why? The reason is because that's to prevent anybody from confusing God's impurity incomparable power with us. See, there's not much chance of that happening for, I don't know if you realize this or not, but most of us are not much to look at. Don't look at nobody. <laughs> Listen, we've been surrounded, most of us. Somebody talk to me if you know what I'm talking about. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles. But we're not demoralized. Hmm. I'm going to rephrase this scripture for you. Sometimes we're not sure exactly what to do. Anybody ever been there? But the God that we serve always knows exactly what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God has never left our side. We've been thrown down, but we've not been broken. What they did to Jesus, they seek to do to us. Why do they do that? They want to torture. They want to mock. They want to kill. But what Jesus did among them, I feel the Lord this morning, he now does in us and through us. How does he do that, Pastor? He lives. He wraps himself in your skin and in your flesh. And by so doing, he walks into the room where people, People need to read a Bible where people need to see a God. And are they seeing Him? Are they seeing Him when they see you? Isn't it interesting that the enemy tries to get us caught up and trapped by fixing our wrappings so that the contents are hidden? We miss that God wraps Jesus in our skin so that Jesus can be more easily noticed by this world. Because if the wrappings were perfect, the contents would be overlooked and they might be missed. So this Christmas, I want you to realize that Jesus was wrapped in skin and in flesh. But George already quoted a passage of Scripture that I was going to quote this morning. I am going to quote. It does not matter how bad your humanity has been. Did you hear me? For by grace are we saved. Guess what else it doesn't matter? It does not matter how good your humanity has been. Somebody talk to me. It doesn't matter how good you think your humanity has been. It doesn't really mean anything. 
For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. And it's not by works, anything that you do. Why? So that you can't boast about you. All of your boasting has to be about God. A recent survey revealed, I don't think it was taken in this church, that 83% of Americans didn't mind receiving a re-gift. <laughs> I don't know where it was, but it wasn't here. Amen. I saw the hands a minute ago. But I really want to encourage you this morning to re-gift the greatest gift that's ever been given this year. Wrapped in our skin... Let's represent Jesus in such a way that those around us will want to receive him. Now I want us to go to the second part of my sermon. I'm not going to be long today. I've got this part and then I'll be done. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 in the NIV. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now I want us to look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now I want us to stop and recognize that not only was Jesus wrapped in skin or humanity, but he was also significantly wrapped in humility. Why wasn't Jesus birthed in or wrapped in Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the capital city. Why wasn't he born in Caesarea? If you read anything about Caesarea, you'll realize that Herod had built a city there that we would all like. How many people like to go to the beach and see the ocean? The rest of y'all are lying. No, there are some people that don't like the beach. I can't relate to you, but I love you anyway. Most people love to go to the beach and see the ocean. This is the best way that I can think to relate about it as I read about Caesarea. Herod had built this city that we would all like. Because after walking through this dry and barren land, you would top the hill and you would come to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Sprawling out before you like the city. There's several beach locations that I like, but one of them is Hilton Head Island. Anybody ever been to Hilton Head Island? Anybody say, I love Hilton Head? We got some people who used to live at Hilton Head. Anybody say, I love Hilton Head Island? When you get to Hilton Head, this is, this is just me, what it kind of reminded me of. It's like you're driving through uh, just country, nowhere, and all of a sudden you top the hill and you can see the water and then you see the island is sprawling there. That's what it reminded me of. And 
Herod had also had a freshwater swimming pool built into the sea by piping fresh water for four miles. There, were, uh, there was a theater there. There was an arena. There were shops. There was, and this is why I thought about Hilton Head, there was a man-made harbor that could house 300 ships at one time. So the question is, out of the places right there in that vicinity, why not wrap Jesus there? Caesarea or Jerusalem were cities that were fit for a king. Those were cities that were worthy of a savior. So why not position the king of kings in in a fine, wealthy city rather than somewhere rural and for the most part, poor? Why do that? I'll tell you why. Because God chose to wrap Jesus in humility. He wraps him in Bethlehem in swaddling clothes. And I want to stop and examine the wrappings just a moment before I make this application for us. See, Herod asked for information regarding Jesus' birth location. Where's he going to be born? And the priest reflected on the prophecy that said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, they thought, such a humble setting. There was no palace. There was no satin sheets. There was uh, a cave or a stable, if you will. If you read much about it, it was much more like a cave than it was like a stable. And it was in this nondescript community that was positioned outside the walls of Jerusalem. It was overlooked. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. It was underestimated. And in fact, the prophecy references that Jesus' birth would force Bethlehem to move up from the rear and become a leader. So he was born into a town that was used to being the last or the least. I want you to get this this morning. On the 10th day of the first month of the year, five days before Passover, every family was required to choose a lamb for Passover. I'm going to fast forward to Passover for just a minute. Per the instructions that were given by God to Moses in Exodus chapter 12, you can go there and read it. Jewish historians record that lambs were brought, listen to me this morning, from the fields of Bethlehem. Lambs were brought from the fields of Bethlehem to the south up to Jerusalem and through the northeastern gate of the city by the pool of Bethesda, and it was called the Sheep Gate. Now, Josephus, I've talked about him before, Flavius Josephus. You can read in the Antiquities of Flavius Josephus if you want to do some deep Bible study. He wrote a lot about the Old Testament. And here's what Josephus says. He says that 250,000 lambs were offered in sacrifice of Passover. He says that so many sheep were offered that the priests, get this visual, would pour the blood and the water over the eastern wall of Jerusalem and it would flow like a river down through the Kidron Valley. And listen, by the way, you can see the eastern wall of Jerusalem, think about this this morning, from the Garden of Gethsemane. How many people know where I'm going this morning? You can see the eastern wall of Jerusalem from the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to get that visual in your mind. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying as he could watch and see the blood of 250,000 lambs being poured over the eastern wall uh, of that city while he himself was in the garden wrestling in prayer with the call to be the lamb, the sacrifice once and for all. 
The sheep of Bethlehem were owned by the Sadducees. Only these sheep were allowed, I didn't even know this, but only these sheep from Bethlehem were allowed to be sacrificed on Passover. That's the only place they could get them from. For the purpose of filling their own bank accounts. That's why the Sadducees did it. And that's why you see Jesus getting angry in the New Testament with them for deceitfully using the system to get rich and he runs them out of the temple. And Jesus and his disciples began a trip to Jerusalem on a donkey at Bethphage. Now I'm on Palm Sunday. Bethphage is to the east of Jerusalem and the road travels over the Mount of Olives and he arrives on Palm Sunday riding through. Guess where he came through? The Sheep Gate. Some of y'all are with me this morning. I want you to see the symbolism and the powerful, purposeful work of God. Jesus, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, was born in Bethlehem. Born where lambs were raised and prepared for a Passover sacrifice. And he arrives on the day of sacrifice via the sheep gate. He was making a statement. Now back to the Christmas story in Luke 2 and 12. Luke adds that it would be a sign to the shepherds that they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Remember, the sheep born in Bethlehem were born for sacrifice. The shepherds, I didn't know this either. This is awesome. I learned some things this week. The shepherds would wrap the newborn lambs in swaddling clothes. Did you know that? Strips of cloth. Here's why they did it. Because they wanted to protect the body of the lamb and keep perfect the body of the lamb that would be offered as a sacrifice at the temple just four miles away. They were wrapped in strips of cloth to keep the new lambs without spot or blemish. Now get this. This one really rocked my world. Then after they wrapped them in those cloths because the cloths were binding. So they wrapped them in those cloths and then they would lay them in a manger until they calmed down after they were born so that they could pick them up after they had calmed down and take them to the place of sacrifice. And one bruised or broken bone would disqualify that lamb. Can I tell you this morning, God had his only begotten son wrapped in strips of cloth, laid in a hay-filled manger, no silver spoons in his mouth, no special onesie, no picture session on social media that introduces him to the world. Are you with me this morning. No pomp and circumstance. It was a common setting for a very uncommon birth. Jesus was wrapped in humility. Now a couple of thoughts that I have about this and I'll be done. Hear me when I say this this morning. Where you, I said all of that to say this. Where you come from will never keep God from getting you where he needs you to be. I said, where you come from, somebody hear me this morning, will never keep God from getting you where he needs you to be. Steve, can I share your social media post? Is that all right? I figured you put it out there for the world to see. If you get mad at me for sharing it, it's your fault, not mine. Amen. After the first service this morning, Steve quoted me. Where you come from will never keep God from getting where he wants you to be. And I want you to listen to what he said. Steve Tuttle that works cameras in the sound booth, volunteers for MSC and middle school ministry on Wednesday night. Here's what he said. Wow, 
How I wish I could write this one down and mail it to my younger self. The boy who was born to a 14-year-old teen mom. The boy who was abandoned by both parents suffering from drug addiction. The boy who was re-gifted from home to home. The boy who was told by school administrators, you'll never do anything in life. The boy who allowed the enemy to steal his mind and his self-worth. But God got that boy exactly where he wanted him to be. But God, but God. He said, I th- I'm thankful that he never let me grow stagnant. And I'm praising him in advance because I know he's just getting started. Let me say it again. Where you come from will never stop God from getting you where he needs you to be. And even in unlikely overlooked, and less than ideal settings. God can find you, and you can find your purpose in Him. Hear me this morning. I'm going to talk to somebody for just a few minutes. Your environment was not an accident. Listen to me. It was not incidental that your family wasn't perfect. If there's anybody in this room that has a perfect family, I want to talk to you after church. i got a lot to do before the banquet at 6 p.m., but I'm going to take time to talk to you if you've got a perfect family. It wasn't an accident that others couldn't find you when they were handing out compliments and awards and accolades. It wasn't a coincidence that he placed you in a situation or allowed you to experience a social status from which nobody ever expected you to rise to the top. Jesus shows us, listen, that you can be birthed in a back street setting, but he can get you to Main Street if that's where he wants you to be. And I wrote this down just because I'm getting old. When I wrote that down, the next thing I wrote down was Jesus was a backstreet boy. (laughs) And I thought, even Abby will be like, who are the backstreet boys? (laughs) Come on, Kendall. You with me. Some of y'all know who the backstreet boys were. Jesus was a back, he wasn't that kind of backstreet boy. (laughs) But he was a backstreet boy. Listen to me this morning. Don't you ever allow your environment to define your destiny. Don't ever allow your environment to define your destiny. Your life may have been wrapped in humble beginnings, but quit whining about it. And realize that He simply and strategically positioned you in humility so that He would get the glory from what He's done in your life. Mm-hmm. I look over here and I see Brendan and Tara. How long have you been clean, Brendan? About a hundred days. We ought to give God praise. Huh. I said we ought to give God praise. Somebody said, just a hundred days? Listen, you don't know where he was about a hundred and two days ago. Can I get a witness this morning? But... 
God stepped in. And Brendan, you hear your pastor this morning. He will take where you came from and use you in ways and give you influence with people that I'll never have influence with because of what he's done in your life. If our Father births us in humility and we faithfully follow in spite of that, then He can trust us. He can trust us with promotion. Jesus' wrappings also show us that the second thought, humility is the wrapping that produces greatness. Jesus, from humble beginnings, impacts history. We like that story because it's it's so unexpected. But when God births us into humble surroundings, most of the time we, we fight against it. But Paul teaches us in Ephesians that humility is essential so that we don't boast. As I said already, it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And it's not by your works so that you cannot boast. If we had not been wrapped in humility, then we would not only take the credit, but we would also sabotage our own greatness. How would we do that, Pastor? Because I don't know if you realize it or not, but God hates pride. Now, this is for all y'all that say, God doesn't hate anything. God is a God of love. He doesn't hate anything. Well, take it up with Proverbs. The Word says, these six things, six, the Lord hates. That's the word that it uses. The first one is a proud look. You know what that is? That's pride. God hates pride. And in fact, He hates it so much that He let us know in Scripture it's one of the things that He hates. And also in another passage of Scripture, you know what He tells us? That pride comes before a great fall. So if pride comes before a fall, isn't it logical that the more humble a person is, the higher in God a person can go? And when we approach Christmas, which has become so comparison-driven, And I was sharing, actually somebody shared with me this week, and I, I said in the first service, I wanted them to hear me because they were here, that because the comment that was made was, I get this and that, and I still, I work so hard to get these gifts, and I still feel like it's not enough. Listen, we approach Christmas, give me just about five minutes here, We become so comparison-driven that we judge our Christmas, which is not supposed to be about all that anyway, by whether our gifts, our tree, our decorations, or our family is as good as the family next door. Or better yet, the families that we compare ourselves to on social media. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be next door anymore because they're right here. And against that backdrop, I ask you the question. I ask myself a question this week. Are you 
wrapped in humility. Why is it essential for us to be wrapped in humility? One more time, let me remind you what I told you just a few minutes ago. Jesus was wrapped in our humanity. And simply put, pride is a mismatched wrapping. Are you with me? It distracts from the gift. We misrepresent Jesus when we are wrapped in pride. There's a lot of folks misrepresenting Jesus. Jesus shows us that the way to share love is to wrap it in humility. Humility. So I want to ask you, I want to get very practical, and then they're going to come to the music in just a moment. Are you too proud to point? What do you mean, Pastor? Is your life pointing to him, or is it pointing to you? What you buy, what you celebrate, who does it point to? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My works and my words, he said, point to the Father. So I ask you this morning, who is your life pointing to? Are you too proud to plow? I'm going to do what I did at the 845 service. I'm going to look down at this one so I don't have to look at nobody. You won't serve. Boy, it's quiet. You won't work. You won't hold down a job. Anybody going to help me preach? We're in a society today, a generation, the last I checked, minimum wage is still $7.75. While I agree, that's too low, but I know people that don't work unless you pay them at least $20 an hour. Too proud to plow. Mm-hmm. Won't stay committed. I'll keep looking down. Won't keep at it when it gets hard, when it gets difficult. Let me tell you, humility will force you to stay at it. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. He said this even though his service wasn't easy. We've got a cakewalk. His service wasn't easy. His service wasn't received. His service wasn't recognized. His service wasn't accepted. And can I tell you today in this church world that we're living in, too many of us serve for recognition and appreciation rather than serving because we're humble enough to recognize that we've been served by Jesus, so we must serve others. We simply follow the example of the servant Savior that we pattern our life after. We're wrapped in service because he was wrapped in service. And more days than not, for those that serve, you can relate. It's more like plowing than playing. Can I get a witness? Pride. I've seen it happen before, even with people that I loved. Pride will cause you to walk away from the plow. Clothe yourself in humility. And lastly, as they come to the music this morning, are you too proud to partner? 
Pride causes us to think that we can make it alone. I've even heard people say, all I need is me and Jesus. It's probably going to get real quiet and probably nobody's going to help me preach, but I've got to tell you something. That couldn't be more wrong. Only the ones that was at 845 said, come on, because they didn't know where I was going at 845 either. That could not be a more incorrect statement. When I read this book, I discover that not even Jesus needed just Jesus. Have you ever stopped to consider that? He called disciples to spend time with. Twelve men to do life with. Somebody help me preach this morning. Twelve men. That's why one-on-one discipleship is so important. That's why we're trying to do that around here. And if you'd be willing to walk with somebody like Brendan or Tara or one of these new converts, if you'd be willing to walk with them, see Sister Karen, she will hook you up quicker than you want to be hooked up, probably. But that's why one-on-one discipleship is so important. We need people to walk hand-in-hand through this life with. Jesus selected 12 people to do life with. But see, pride builds up walls. And it causes us to hold people at an arm's length because here's why we do it, I think. Because we know the truth about us. We know the truth about us. We can't let people get to know us too well or they might figure out sometimes this is a facade. I see some heads nodding. Sometimes this is fake. We don't want to let anybody get too close. But humility produces a reliance on each other. Humility produces a dependence on each other. Humility helps me embrace the fact that I am incomplete without you. And you are incomplete without others. We need each other. We say it all the time around here. We are better together. If you'll stand with me all over the room. I'm so glad this morning or this afternoon now that we serve a God who was wrapped in humanity. There's not a single thing that we face or will face that He doesn't understand or that He can't relate to. And I'm also so glad that it doesn't matter what situation we may have been born into or even what situation we may have found ourselves at at some point or maybe even right now in our lives. Past or present, our environment does not have to dictate our destiny. He too was wrapped in humility, but it didn't change the fact of who he was. And it didn't change the fact that the Father had destined him for greatness. So I ask you this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, 
I am just simply not, I'm not saying lost. That certainly applies. I'm not saying you've never been saved. That certainly applies. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm just simply not where I need to be with Jesus. I'm not exactly where I need to be with Jesus. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand up and put it back down? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. All over this room. Anybody else? I'm just simply not exactly where I need to be with Jesus. I want to tell you this morning, there's not a thing that you face, a struggle that you've gone through, a battle that you're in, that he's not already been through because he was already wrapped in humanity. He can relate to you. So if you'll quit the facade and you'll get real with him, he'll step in on the scene where you are and he'll turn that situation and your life around. And if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, there's a room full of people here today that will testify with me that Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Don't walk out of here today without him. So you can look at me now. When we open this altar, I want you to find a place in this altar and realize and recognize he was wrapped in humanity. He can help you with your mess. I said he can help you with your mess. But also, I want us to recognize that he was wrapped in humility. So this should apply to everybody else in this room. Those of you that said you are where you need to be with God, I ask you this morning, when people look at you, I ask myself this week, Sean, when people look at you, do they see humility? I'm going to get really real with you this morning. I sat at my desk and I thought, I'm not really sure. Sometimes maybe, sometimes maybe not. So the question you need to ask yourself this morning is when people look at you, do they see humility? Do they see you pointing? Do they see you plowing? And do they see you partnering? I'm thankful that we serve a God that was wrapped in humanity. And now He wraps Himself in flesh so that we can share Him with others. But also this morning, I'm thankful that we serve a God that showed us He was wrapped in humility. And we too must be wrapped in humility if we're going to make an impact for the kingdom.